0: Michael wants to know what's going on. Marco, what's going on? I don't
1: know. What's going on? Paul, who
0: wants to know? I want to
1: know. <laughs> I think we should let Michael know what's going on. Yeah.
2: break out the saxophone and the body oil. It's now playing Lost Boys Retrospective Series. If you know, if you try to stop us or vamp out in any way, then I'll stick you without even thinking twice about it. In preparation for Lost Boys The Thirst, coming direct to DVD this fall, our Lost reviewers Jacob, Marjorie, and Arnie will be watching and reviewing all three films.
1: We're dedicated to a higher purpose. We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way.
2: These podcasts will be spoiler filled and may contain objectionable language. Listener discretion is advised. Now you know what we are. Now you know what you are.
0: Never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. But you must feed.
1: Today we're discussing The Lost Boys, The Tribe, starring Tad Hilgenbrink, Angus Sutherland, Autumn Reeser, Gabrielle Rose, and Corey Feldman, directed by PJ Peace. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing.
3: This is Jacob, surfboard shaper, vampire hunter, podcaster.
1: <laughs> and this is Marjorie. This is the direct-to-video sequel to The Lost Boys, I think in the in-depth movie reviews and now done. This is our first direct-to-video review coming 21 years after the original, just missing that 20th anniversary. And I have to ask, did we need a sequel to The
0: Lost Boys? Was America ready? Now, if you would have asked me before I saw this movie, (laughs) I would be all over that statement. Now, if you ask me at the end of this podcast, we'll see.
3: You you know what? I, I think the first Lost Boys was such a cult hit. There probably was, among those people that were really into it, a desire for this. You know, again, I I had just recently seen Lost Boys for the first time. It's definitely a a universe, a a franchise, whatever you want to call it, a mythology that I wouldn't mind revisiting again. You know, after seeing that, I found out there was this direct-to-video movie, and I sought it out. I wanted to see it. I was interested in learning more about this franchise.
1: Now, I know that back in the 80s, they talked about doing a sequel and calling it The Lost Girls and... Kiefer may even come back. There was a reason Kiefer didn't explode or implode. They were going to say that they missed the heart and Kiefer continued to live and they never got around to it. And then they actually talked about making a remake of The Lost Boys and not having any of the original characters, maybe giving Corey Feldman a cameo or something. I finally found out they were really making the sequel to The Lost Boys when I was watching the A&E reality TV show, The Two Corys. (laughs) And there was, like, a Lost Boys 20th anniversary convention, and they dug out the other frog brother to join the Two Corys on stage and talk Lost Boys, and... (laughs) There was this really pathetic episode. There was the scene where Corey Feldman has to tell Corey Haim they're making a sequel to The Lost Boys. Feldman's in it. Haim isn't. Haim wept. He cried like a little boy.
3: Why wouldn't they have Haim in it? It would only make sense to carry over both the Corys in a sequel. So why didn't they have him?
1: Yeah, they didn't want him. They wanted to start a new story. They wanted to just give Feldman a cameo, and Feldman only agreed to return if he could reprise his role as Edgar Frog. And so that's why we get Edgar Frog Surfboard Shaper. (laughs) They also did a
3: comic book as kind of a prequel to gap the two movies.
1: Yes, called Reign of Frogs, R-E-I-G-N. How was that comic, Jacob? I let you read that.
3: This was a four-issue miniseries, and basically what it sets up is Edgar Frog is already a surfboard shaper. And <laughs> a, a young man comes to him wants to become a vampire hunter uh, because Edgar Frog's brother, that, that unnamed frog brother that we can never remember, Alan, has gone missing. And you kind of get this backstory where you find out the frog brothers are like – national heroes that no one knows about for vampire hunting, that there's this long history of the US government fighting vampires. That it goes back all the way to the Revolutionary War, where the basically the American colonies were feeding grounds for vampires. And the red coats wore red coats because it would hide the bloodstains when they would feed on the colonists in America. Which I think that is awesome. It, it's completely absurd, but I love that idea. You get scenes of Benjamin Franklin vampire killer, Abraham Lincoln vampire killer. It's it's so out of control, so over the top. I actually kind of liked it, but you find out it gets into this really awful story about how Grandpa. You know, you know how much I loved Grandpa from the first film. He actually becomes a half vampire. You find out that. David is actually still alive. You you mentioned that sequel where the antlers didn't go through his heart. They bring that up. He's actually not dead. Max wasn't the main vampire. There's actually another main vampire, which they kind of bring in that lost girls. You get into this whole tribe of female vampires. And so Grandpa, Sam, and the Frog Brothers team up to go kill these new master vampires. And... It doesn't turn out well. Alan Frog gets bit, becomes a vampire. Grandpa dies. And then it just kind of ends. And in the half the last issue, it cuts away to the surf Nazis from the first film. And you find out that one of them survived and he crawls into the ocean to get away and he becomes a vampire, becomes a half vampire and feeds on a great white shark. And that is his first kill that turns him into a full vampire. And then he creates his new tribe, which is where we pick up.
1: Well, I guess that leads into the plot summary for The Lost Boys, The Tribe. And we're not in Santa Carla anymore. We have a brother and sister, Chris and Nicole, moving to Luna Bay because Chris was a famous surfer. But after his parents died, he started having trouble with his temper, shattered the kneecap of a competitor. They're out of money, and so they move to Luna Bay where their Aunt Jillian has rental property. They thought that they were going to get to stay there for free, but in fact, it's just very reasonable rates for Luna Bay. But of course, Luna Bay, like Santa Carla, has a vampire problem. There is a new tribe of surfer vampires led by Shane, played by Angus Sutherland, the half-brother of Kiefer Sutherland, and his, yes, African cohort, there's... An extreme sports cohort. I think he was a holdover from the next Karate Kid. And the surfer who Chris had a problem with is also now a vampire in Shane's tribe. Shane, when he was alive, was also a famous surfer. And so he and Chris have this kind of admiration for each other's surfing abilities. Shane invites Chris to this debaucherous vampire party. Chris brings Nicole... Shane tries to seduce Nicole and turns Nicole into a half-vampire. Chris wants to save his sister, and so he hunts up Edgar Frog, vampire hunter, and Edgar sends Chris undercover to become a half-vampire himself to discover where the tribe's nest is so that Chris and Edgar can kill the head vampire and save Chris's sister. They do that, and... Kill the vampires and Nicole's return to normal. I don't think there's really too many twists in this plot, is there? That they just, no, there's they, no twist. At they all, just which... do it. Yeah, they, they they say they're going to go undercover, become a half vampire, and infiltrate Shane's gang. They do exactly that, and then they infiltrate the nest
0: and kill all the vampires, and then it's over. And then it's over.
3: There's it, no Max revelation, which kind
1: of threw me.
0: Yeah, it's just I, I know. In fact, I go. That's it. I mean, seriously, you just like oh. They ended up so abruptly there that I was like, there must be more. Maybe we saw a bad cut of the movie.
1: No, there's only this cut of the movie.
0: So it was just poorly done. Well, we
3: could discuss that. I definitely think this film has some strengths in it.
0: Well, let's talk about the very
1: opening scene where we're introduced to the tribe. Because it's got one of my favorite people in it. I can't say one of my favorite actors. But Tom Savini, who's just a cool motherfucker, is in there. And you see the surfers coming. And of course... Tom Savini was a vampire and from dusk till dawn he's been a zombie he's been everything he's a great makeup artist and so you see the surfers on Savini's beach Savini vamps out there is a twist here the surfers are also vampires and kill the Tom Savini vampire and I was like Tom what are you doing in this movie I, I was hoping he was like the head vampire. He'd come back at the end. I mean, they'd behead him early. But when I first saw him, I hoped he'd be a bigger part of this movie. But this is just a cameo.
3: It was wasted. One thing about this opening scene, it kind of sets the tone for this movie. You know, you get these surfers, they're coming in over the gate. And it just seems like, You know, I'm sure this dialogue wasn't scripted. They just said, hey, jump over the gate and sound tough. Because, like, every other word is the F word. And it just seems like poor dialogue. Just, hey, let's do some improv and act like tough surfers. Are
1: we supposed to think that Shane in this movie is one of the surf Nazis from the original movie? That's,
3: yeah. And uh, when I was watching this film, because I'd seen it before, and then I read the comic and I watched it again, and there's this very, I don't even know if you hear it, when you if you're not listening for it, but when you at the opening scene you get these surfers jumping the gate, going surfing, and they're all kind of talking to each other, and one says, oh, you're just a swastika waving skinhead. So I, I think they try to imply that they were part of the surf Nazi gang, which... It's kind of weird as they have an, uh, a black African in their, their tribe. I don't know how well that works with surf Nazis.
1: So you say that Shane fed on a shark.
3: Correct. A great white shark.
1: And that made him a full vampire. Apparently they don't have to feed on humans. But Grandpa was feeding on animals instead a half vampire, right? Yeah. <laughs>
3: There's problems with this comic book. I I think it's best not to take it into continuity. Maybe because he killed the animal first, and it wasn't a live animal. It didn't turn him into a full vampire. It doesn't make very much sense at all. But yeah, I, that's what we're supposed to believe is that this new tribe was created from a survivor from the surf Nazi attack in the first film. At least if you go by the comic book, that's what you're to believe.
1: I hate it when they do that. You know, I, I really hate it. Stuart mentioned when we were talking about the Alien versus Predator comic books carrying on the story of Ripley. I hate it when they try to do these really tenuous ties and... Kind of kill off some of your favorite characters, killing off poor grandpa. Well, they keep David alive, though. He never
3: dies in the comic. He just kind of disappears, and you don't know what happens to him.
1: If Shane was the vampire from the first movie, and Chris knew Shane from the surfing circuit, wouldn't he have looked at Shane and gone, you look really good for your age or something? I mean, if 20 years have passed since he was human and could last surf, I don't think the surfing circuit goes at night. That's true.
3: Yeah, that that makes no sense at all. <laughs> they got some timeline issues with this film. I didn't even, that,
1: that yeah, maybe, you know, wow, I really, there's no way to make that work. No, none no at way. all. Unless Shane was just turned. But if Shane was one of the original surf Nazis, it does not work. The other surfer vampire, I, I don't even remember his name. Was Johnny. He Johnny? Johnny. Johnny. Johnny really was an anachronism to me because these vampires are extreme sports motorcycle riders, right? But yet Johnny keeps whistling Hall of the Mountain King from the Opera by... (laughs) Pierre gint why is he whistling hall of the mountain king and it never comes
0: up again he doesn't even whistle it in his death scene because he is an erudite vampire
1: he really is i i don't know too many surfers who are listening to edward grieg's opera uh, then again i don't know too many surfers so maybe they all do i i kind of equate them more with punk music than edward grieg
3: yeah i kept wondering that because i that piece of music i had at memorize that to play on the piano for a piano recital when I was young and I kept wondering like are they trying to bring up some theme from the? what the hell is going on you know like with Die Hard with Ode to Joy like that's throughout the entire film it's a very strong theme here they drop it down a couple times and it disappears for the rest of the film it's
1: never even in the score if it had been in the score Uh, during his fight I would have so gone with it because like if you've seen Needful Things they put that in the score in such a powerful scene it's a great piece of music It's nice and gothic and action-y. But no, he just whistles it a couple of times. It's royalty-free. They could have stolen it. It's it's public (laughs) domain. And the other thing is when he goes and picks up Chris to take him on his extreme sports ride, he's driving this, like, gangster car from the 30s. I noticed that. (laughs)
3: Like, what
1: the hell? These guys are extreme. There should be, like, a a Lamborghini or something.
0: No, no, no. Don't they drive around in, like, the... VW things, or and-
1: how about an, uh, an SUV of some sort or a Jeep, something extreme.
3: We know these vampires aren't that old, you know. With with the first Lost Boys, we weren't sure how old David and them all were, but here we're kind of guessing they originated from the Surf Nazis from the first film, so they're they've been around, you know if they were in human years they may maybe be 40 or something i mean they they haven't been around that long if they had been around since the 30s yeah maybe they really dug that style or something so they kept it but that's not the case here well we could ignore the comic book because it wasn't very good so if you ignore the comic book it could work or from looking at the sales numbers of that comic book a lot of people did ignore it but yeah i i don't think about this film too much you're 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 spending way too much time thinking about it at least for me it just, just said hey this is a to video DVD. This is not coming out in theaters. There just wasn't that quite the level of attention paid to things like dialogue in this film.
1: Or acting. Angus Sutherland <laughs> oh, has nothing on his brother. Oh my god. I realize he was only hired for his last name and to try to give <laughs> us some kind of tenuous tie. He looks nothing like Kiefer, by the way. Nothing.
0: You like know, and he wasn't even really, he wasn't acting, so we can just throw that off the table. But it wasn't even reciting the lines It was like he was a news anchor that lost his soul and was just (laughs) randomly reading the teleprompter because there was nothing in the delivery. It was just so, it was beyond dead. I can't even describe it. It just, his inflection was in weird spots and hopefully he's not going to be in any more movies. I hope someone- He is
1: still
3: working, sadly.
0: It's that last name.
3: But can you really fault him with the acting? Is there any good actors in here?
0: No, no.
3: Well, I mean, everyone's pretty bad.
0: The aunt, the aunt, she did that pretty well. I have to say, I know Tad Hilgenbrink.
1: I have a deep, dark secret I'm going to have to share. I have seen all of the American Pie direct-to-DVD sequels. Oh my, this this is a deep, dark secret. <laughs> where Tad Hilgenbrink plays Matt Stiffler, cousin to Steve Stifler. I kept wondering, I'm like, is this the guy who played Stifler? When I watched American Pie Presents Bandcamp, I was actually shocked that they were able to get an actor who could embody Stifler as well as sean william scott did but he's got the face he's got the teeth and now unfortunately all i could see when he'd make especially any kind of like facial expression with a smile in this because he's got that toothy smile i just kept thinking stifler it's because he always looks like he
0: smelled something bad
3: You know, going with the American Pie direct-to-video thing, a lot of this reminded me of, I, I'm not like you, Arnie. I haven't delved that dark into my soul to watch those
1: movies. Well, you can be the newbie uh, on the American Pie retrospective oh, series.
3: <laughs> but but this struck me as how, how I imagined those would be. You know, we talked about the first film, how it had an R rating, but there's no nudity. I mean, there's some gore. This film, tons of gratuitous titties in it, <laughs> lots of, you know, n- nudity and sex in it. For really, you know, no reason other than, hey, this is direct video and the people that like those American Pie direct videos will probably like this, too. I mean, Girls Gone Wild light at times. It came off to me.
0: Then you get the girl, Nicole who's the quote-unquote star, and she's too good to show her tits.
3: Well, she's playing a 17-year-old who is having sex with people much older than 18. So, statutory rape. Awesome.
1: I have a question about that sex scene. So, we know Nicole gets turned into a half-vampire, and she tries to kill the geeky boy, and then Angus summons her to him, where he proceeds to have sex with her. Is that rape? If you hold somebody in your thrall... Is that rape?
3: Like I said, we know it's at least statutory rape. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole, and, and we talked about this with the first Lost Boys, is that they can change your perceptions, and you get a scene early on where he takes a dead rose and makes it look like it's alive. At least that's how I read that.
0: Yeah, it, it was like a horrible ripoff of The Bachelor.
1: Well, it was just lucky he keeps dead roses around yeah. whenever he needs to do that.
0: Let's talk about the gang of vampires, the tribe. On the original Lost Boys, we talked about vampires being sexy. Who are these vampires sexy for?
3: Not me. I, I'm, I'm not questioning my sexuality with, with any of these vampires.
0: You know. Is it like 17-year-old girls and old ladies with cats? The the very first vampire to die, uh,
1: Lisa from The Shower, played by Monica <laughs> Delane. Yeah, she's fucking
0: hot. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? We talked about the sex appeal of vampires. So one thing. I mean, Twilight is a very seductive movie. It's high in sexual overtones, even just seeing the trailers. And this one, I don't think, other than the weird incestuous relationship, that there is a lot of... Yeah, I have to... And I guess the girl-on-girl action, but... Yes, yes. There was The vampires weren't seductive. No. Unless and... you're an extreme sports douchebag fan. I started to get really irritated because I think that they ripped off another movie with this and just pr- transplanted the vampires into another movie. Lost Boys? No. no. No, another movie from that time period that is just phenomenal. Another Surf Boys movie. Another Surf Boys movie. I kind of thought that they took a lot of the story and plot from Point Break and just made them vampires instead of dead president bank robbers.
3: Mm, I I think the only I mean, well, yeah, there's they surf. They're not robbing banks.
0: So you've got this cool group of surfers that everyone wants to hang out with in this beach community. One guy, now he's not a cop or anything, but he's there with this other girl. The vampires or surfers take the girl, force him to do extreme douchebag sports in order to get the girl back.
1: Okay, okay, I see see what you're saying. Yeah, Yeah. And he has to infiltrate the gang and kind of go pseudo undercover, Uh even though the gang kind of suspects that he's there to tear them apart. It's kind of there, but... Poor Tad Hilgenbrink will never come back from this statement. Tad Hilgenbrink is no Keanu Reeves.
3: Oh, so sad. I I 100% agree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the scene where they go and Nicole's already in the vampire's lair, and then the other guys come and get whatever, Chris, and... Make him do like the night surfing on the rocks. And he's like, oh, it's so dangerous. It's very much like the whole scenes in Point Break where they make Keanu Reeves go and do the surfing out of the airplane in order to get it's Laurie. It's skydiving when you're surfing Whatever. Out of an airplane. <laughs> But then they go and surf underneath it. But and then they go get Lori, to get Laurie Petty back. Very similar, and I really thought somebody watched Point Break and thought, "Wow, this would be great, but with vampires and no bank robbing." You
3: know, the the first Lost Boys was a comedy horror, so now they're going for a sports horror movie, perhaps.
0: Yeah. Well, they definitely
1: tried to play up the comedy, including slapstick, where they have the vampires like disemboweling each other for fun because they know it'll heal.
3: I kind of like that. I'm I'm just going to put it out there. Like at first, I'm like oh, so they're just going to mur- straight-up murder someone? This is kind of gratuitous. And then you find out he's a vampire. It's like, guys, why are you disemboweling me? I, I don't know. I kind of thought that was funny.
1: Yeah, well, did you notice that I think they did more ad living Because he's like, your blood's squirting all over. You're a squirter, man. Here's the thing. That kind of comedic <laughs> idea robs them of their menace and makes them seem more goofy than dangerous. The first Lost Boys had humor, but the vamps themselves were never goofy. Other than Alex Winter's hair.
3: <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I I, thought these vampires were different. You know, the, the first film, they were much more of the horror villain type vampires. And as badly as the dialogue was delivered in this film, I actually thought these vampires, yes, they have this skewed sense of morality. Yes, they are. Eating people, sucking their blood, murdering them.
1: Yeah, that's a skewed sense of morality. But it's a food <laughs> chain. But but no, but but in
3: some way, like this really bad monologue from Angus Sutherland, he's somewhat benign. You know, here's Nicole and Chris's last names are Emerson.
0: I noticed that and Arnie didn't.
3: And it's hinted that their parents died in an accident. And this is kind of brought up in the comic. It's never really developed that well.
1: I was hoping that the comic would tell us if they were related to Sam.
3: But, yeah, it mentions that Michael and Star were killed in a car accident.
1: So they were Michael and Star's kids.
3: Yeah, that's that's what they are trying to get at.
0: Oh, they did it very poorly.
3: Yes, they did. <laughs> if this was a well-done movie, this would have been much more powerful. <laughs> but they're, they're trying to say, hey, you guys have dealt with loss in, in, in your life. Uh, we could talk about this brother sister relationship. I definitely want to talk about that because I, I I think the death of their parents has really taken on some weird has really been expressed some weird way between this brother and sister. But there's definitely this sense that they don't want to lose each other, that their family, that they've already lost their parents. They go through some of the other surfers. Hey, this guy you know lost the ability to surf because of this injury, and now he's been healed. I mean, he tries to deliver the case for vampirism. Vampirism.
0: He's like the Anthony Robbins of vampires.
3: <laughs> yes. You know, one of my complaints was with the, with the first film is that I really don't know why they were trying to convert people to be vampires. I appreciated that they tried to delve into that. I, I, I so I thought at least with at least with Shane, he was trying to present the case. He's more benign than David was in the first film.
0: But these were very different vampires in the first film. The first film, they were very much the romantic and seductive vampires, and these were. Fast-paced. They could run at the speed of light. They had all the jerky camera movements from, like, the grudge. Totally different vampires.
3: But the, f- the first Lost Boys, they did have the super strength. They were ripping cars apart. But this one, yeah, they did add the super speed, and I think that was a direct... Not to Twilight. They wanted to create some connection with that. Well, planet. it would make I'm glad sense. That's the to. only connection. That, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm glad that's the o- as far as they went. But I think that's why the super speed was in there.
1: The other thing, though, talking about how these vampires compared to the last ones, we talked in the last podcast about how. Joel Schumacher really wanted to leave the characters as attractive, and when they vamped out, it wasn't so much makeup as it was acting, and they acted more vampiric and things and did some subtle makeup stuff. Here, these are some fugly vampires. They don't even look like the same species.
0: They're as- not model-looking, and I definitely agree that there are different species of vampires. I'm pretty sure that there are different species. There are different genus? Yes,
3: Perhaps it's because the master vampire, Shane, first fed on a great white shark. (laughs) It's like alien... I'm going to piss Stuart off comparing this to aliens. But perhaps it's like aliens, depending on what kind of animal the alien gestates in, they take on those characteristics.
0: Oh, God. So did he eat like a bad actor?
3: (laughs) Perhaps the shark had eaten a bad actor and he consumed that too when he consumed the shark.
0: Because, dear God, still...
3: But but Arnie, there's a lot of things aesthetically. I mean, we talked a lot about just the aesthetics of the first film, how it was very authentic to that time. This doesn't feel authentic to 2008 or 2007.
1: Oh, they're playing Call of Duty.
3: <laughs> yeah yeah, they have their extreme sports with the xbox and
0: all i could think of when i saw those guys was harold and kumar and the extreme guys they just kept going extreme
3: exactly these seemed like characters and the aesthetics of this film seemed like the aesthetics out of a team sex comedy it didn't seem like real life as did the lost boys that actually seemed like it was really
1: 1987 you're right this feels like it's actually vancouver on video (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, and you got the sense that these these guys were a little bit older, whereas I honestly, when I saw the Lost Boys, the original movie, I thought that David and them were maybe late teens. Like, they were teens. Yeah. They were all like and you 17, had, 18. You had this like vagabond group of teenage vampires, and here you just got some stupid surfer guys probably in the early 20s stealing people's mansions.
3: No, there's not the level of depth as there was in the first film. It, 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 again, you, you, you knocked uh, – Tad Hilgenbrink's acting, saying he's no Keanu Reeves. I'm just going to say PJ Peace ain't no Jules Schumacher.
1: You know, I had to look up PJ Peace's au and he hasn't worked much. Most of what he does is direct-to-video shit. Like Smoking Aces 2, From Dusk Till Dawn 3, Sniper 3, and some TV work like an episode of Tremors the series. So yes. yeah, he, he's a hack. He's, he's terrible. And you know what? I gotta say something here. The humor in this movie, when they try to mix the comedy and the horror... It's the wrong type of humor, and again, I'm not a Joel Schumacher fan, but man, was he deft at inserting the right kind of humor and giving it the right tone in the last movie and making it, what was funny was the reality colliding with this vampire world, and what was funny was Feldman not realizing he's supposed to be funny. Here, the way it's written might have worked, but it requires a deft hand, and P.J. Peace didn't pull it off right because it's not the right type of humor. It's the slapstick, extreme humor that you would find in an American Pie film up against the horror. It makes the feeling of the movie so inconsistent. What's great about some comedy in a horror film is you can be scared and then you laugh and you're kind of relaxed and then it scares you again. Here, it's just such an up and down roller coaster that... All you do is feel kind of numb and just keep thinking the horror isn't scary, the comedy isn't funny, and this sucks.
3: I kind of like some of the comedy in here. There, I totally agree. There's some that doesn't work.
1: There's one joke that really works is the fat guy with the saxophone. Okay, oh, I was going to yes. bring that
3: up. I love <laughs> that they had nods to the first film. They, I wonder if that's the actual sax player from the first I don't movie. think it is. If so, go. he
1: really let himself go. I yeah.
3: loved that, that they referenced the sax man because it was such a ridiculous thing. That when Chris and Nicole they they move into that home there's
1: just a pair of antlers sitting around and they're like oh this is kind of cool i was wondering if that was just a reference to the first one but then they actually do impale a vampire on it again
3: and, and then there's the scene they're both in the car and they uh, Nicole and Chris are in, in the car and they're you know Chris gets out to go into the home and he's like are you coming little sister you know referencing one of the big songs from the first film, and they use it again here. And then, you know what? Corey Feldman, we could talk about him. He worked for me here. This is the reason it takes 32 minutes for him to show up in this film, but once he does, I
1: enjoy every moment he's on the screen. Really? You do? Yeah, you know why? No, I don't. I really don't, because I found him excruciating.
3: I liked it because, you know what? He... Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but you get people like Mark Hamill who have come to dis- just despise the fact that all they're known for is-, is their his role as Luke Skywalker, and he tries to do everything to distance himself from that. And you know what? I feel if you pl- if you create such a a great character, you know what? Just embrace that. It- it's it's a job. You're doing something for money. Embrace it. It's not always about high art. And Corey Feldman, he realizes. He's Corey Feldman, that he needs a paycheck, and
1: he totally embraces the role. I, I honestly think he doesn't think, oh, I'm Corey Feldman, I need a paycheck. He thinks, I'm Corey Feldman, and I'm the star of this picture because I am the Lost Boys.
0: That's kind of the impression I got, too, is because, and maybe I'm biased because we did watch the two Corys for, like, the first season, and he does have delusions of grandeur about this movie.
3: Okay, and maybe that, maybe that's the difference. I didn't watch a bad reality show. For me, it didn't seem like he was trying to fight against the role and trying to elevate it because now he thinks he's some great actor.
1: Well, he certainly didn't try to elevate shit, but I, I have to say, here's why he didn't work for me in this film. There's a number of reasons. Now, first is that horribly affected voice. I, I think he should have left the voice at the door. In the first one, it was kind of funny because he was trying to sound like a man, and I guess he was trying to carry that performance through. But when you see the 35-year-old guy talking like that, it just it comes off wrong. And the second thing is, the humor that he had in that first movie was unintentional. Corey wasn't in on the joke because he was a little kid acting like Rambo, and that's what's funny. But here, if you watch it, he's so old... And he's not anything ironic to be in this role. So he actually has to try and tell jokes like surfboard shaper, vampire hunter. Yeah, he has no comic timing at all.
0: He's is notice that no one's beaten down his door to put him in another movie, So no,
3: but I don't think that's what he was trying to do. I that's my thing. I, I, I just think, you know what? He realizes this is where he's at in life. I thought it was fun. I like that they retained something from the first film because a lot of the new stuff they added wasn't that great.
1: I do have to say the only reason I saw this movie is because I knew Feldman was in it and I knew Haim had a cameo. And so I wanted to see that. That's what I wanted. I didn't necessarily want this other. The thing that got me in the door was seeing him return to that role. But then once I saw it, I'm just like, this is awful. This is awful.
0: It would have made more sense for him to have kids that were the vampire hunters and maybe a throwback and have him own a comic book shop and really do the nod or something like that. But I I agree he did not work in that role because it was just kind of sad as an adult.
3: I I guess I knew from his first appearance that he retained the voice and all that when you first see him in this film. Here's the other thing with Eddie or or Edgar as he likes to go by. Again, we talked about how Jameson Newlander, Alan Frog, kind of got the shaft in the first film. And he's totally out of the picture in this film. And they keep kind of mentioning that Edgar is dealing with the fact that his own brother, both vampire hunters, was turned to a vampire.
1: Yeah, because he has a lot of sympathy for Chris and the sibling turned vampire. So it's really hinted at that his brother went vamp. But I don't think it's ever explicitly stated until we start talking about some of the cutscenes.
3: That is correct. I guess I can appreciate that that they attempted some kind of emotional depth with Edgar Frog. The execution's pretty awful, but
1: I can appreciate that they tried to do something. What I really want to know, just desperately want to know, is, was this explained in the comic book, Jacob? At what point did this character arc change from running a comic book shop to being a surfboard shaper?
3: I was totally wondering that. I, I actually... I'm like, what happened to the – comic? because I didn't even know this was in a different – Luna Bay in a different location until like halfway through the film until they finally mention it. I just assumed it would be in the same – and I'm like, where's the comic book shop? Why – like I thought that was part of the charm is that you took an industry completely based on mythology and gave it a hint of truth. And that was part of the charm of that first lost boys, and here we're doing the extreme sports thing. you know we had our motorcycle chases and and now he's a surfboard shaper
1: it's just too convenient that this tribe of vampires is surfboard people chris is a pro surfer
3: who wants to become a shaper and edgar's the only shaper in town
1: yeah that's just too convenient i would have preferred edgar having a comic book shop next to the surf shop or something you know or something like that some other way of him coming into the fray having him as the surfboard shaper was stupid it was just really dumb I mean, I understand he gets to say the funny line, surfboard shaper, vampire hunter. But beyond that, it just, it, oh, God. I, I it was... I, I wanted to punch somebody. It was so bad. Why is Feldman wearing the same clothes he wore in the first movie? Because he's that little
3: boy. He, he's a little boy stuck in a man's body. That's why he still uses the voice. I don't. Because they, part of the charm was his character in that first film. There's a lot of nods to the first film in this movie. And I th- I think they just wanted to do something else to identify with that first film. Try to steal some of its greatness.
1: Well, they made him recite the exact same speech he recited from the first one. No two vampires go the same. Some explode, some implode. I'm like, that would have been a place for humor. Because assuming you're making this for Lost Boys fans, we've heard the speech. So this is the time when you kind of mix it up and have like... Chris having some kind of ironic reaction to that speech that we've heard so many times watching the first movie. Or or, or, or some reference,
3: you don't know why they died differently, didn't your uncle tell you anything, you know, referring to Sam or something, you know. That yeah. would
0: have really tied it all together or something, because that was missing. Do you guys feel that this was made for Lost Boys fans, or do you feel it was capitalizing on the sudden popularity of vampires?
1: Yep.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Corys. I mean, they they came back. They they had a sudden resurgence in pop culture with their show. So I, I think they were trying to satiate both crowds: people that had just found out about the Corries, the Twihards, and the Lost Boy fans.
1: Truly, this is the last Corey and Corey film. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about Corey Haim at the end.
3: Okay, this is just camp. It's not, you know, the Lost Boys. You could kind of approach as a serious movie. There's a lot of depth to it. This. Is played off as camp, especially when Corey gets there. So yeah, I laughed. I laughed at all his stupid one-liners because they were, they were ridiculous. But I, I, you know, I thought he had some funny one-liners.
1: I think in a different actor, they could have been funny, but Feldman has the comic timing of a turtle. <laughs> Some of the jokes in this movie did work for me. I actually really liked the joke where Nicole is like, I can't be a vampire. I'm a vegetarian. Because that kind of was like the humor from the first one, both making fun of today's society and all the, you know, uppity vegetarian people and that.
3: And I also thought that was a good slam on. Twilight, because Twilight's all about the vegetarian vampires.
1: I did not know that.
3: They're not, I call them vegetarian vampires. They feed on animals because they don't want to drink human blood. So they're kind of like the vegetarians of vampirism.
1: They did that interview with a vampire, Louis only fed on
3: rats. Yeah. With Nicole, she did have some good lines. I don't know how serious this line, but when she's like, You teamed up with a surfboard shaper slash vampire slayer to kill a guy I'm totally crushing on. (laughs) Like, I don't know if that was meant to be, like, authentic 17-year-old girl dialogue, but I thought it was funny. Again, I thought it was campy. I I don't think any real 17-year-old would say that, even if they were dealing with a surfboard shaper slash vampire slayer. But it was funny because it was so campy.
1: I don't want dumb movies. I don't. I don't want a movie that is, like, reveling in its own stupidity. I don't want to watch Jackass the movie. I want something that's a little bit smart with what it does and a little bit satirical. And, you know, when you get lines like uh, Corey Feldman fires a holy water balloon at a vampire and his head explodes and Feldman goes, pop goes the weasel. I laughed. That's, that would only be funny if the vampire he killed was played by Paulie Shore.
3: I, I totally thought that when I saw that too. But here, you know what? And again, I think this is just a different preference. Sometimes I'm in the mood for jackass, and I just want to see people do stupid things, and I sit there and giggle to myself. I could enjoy spending a couple hours like that.
1: The jokes didn't make me laugh. They didn't. I did laugh when Aunt Jillian came over and brought a movie for everyone to watch, and it was Goonies. I laughed at that. I laughed at the vegetarian line, but most of the humor fell on its face. It's smushed up vampire face.
3: What about the final scene with Aunt Jillian where Nicole and Chris are covered in blood sitting on the couch and Aunt Jillian busts in. I know what you kids are up to and you're going to have to stop this right now. I know you're smoking pot yeah i thought like, that was funny that was
1: funny because it's it's a, a reference back to grandpa anything that referenced the first movie i liked i like the fat saxophone player and i like this because you think oh the aunt knows all about it just like grandpa knows about it but no she just thinks they're smoking reefer
3: we have two very i guess different takes on humor and, and what works and what doesn't so depending on who you agree with more uh, marjorie and arnie's reviews are mine i guess that will match your opinion as a listener
1: Here's what frustrates me as a viewer. I think this movie had a great concept. I loved the thought that this brother-sister relationship was so tight that when the sister becomes a half-vampire, the brother is willing to risk his life and become a half-vampire and infiltrate the gang. And, you know, oh, I'm probably going to get way too deep for Lost Boys, the, the tribe, but... It like had a heart of darkness type of concept to me. Like he had to go deeper and deeper into the depths of his own soul and how far would he go? Would he sacrifice his own soul and become a vampire to save his sister and all of that? But it just, it plays out so cheesily. I was frustrated by this movie. And Jacob, you know this story. You've made fun of me saying I write Lost Boys fanfic. (laughs) But I'm a writer and I saw this and I love the Heart of Darkness vampire concept so much but thought it was executed so pissed poorly that I'm like, I'm writing my own goddamn vampire <laughs> novel. And I'm going to take what was the gem of the soul that was good of this, the concept of the Heart of Darkness vampire and running with it. And now that I've spoiled it on a podcast, I'm going to abandon that project and somebody else can <laughs> steal it. But, you know, that was a nugget that I thought could have been such a good story. I thought the first Lost Boys movie had a good story. I thought this had a good idea that was executed poorly. But
0: the problem that you got was you didn't get enough backstory, and it required homework, which I hate that my movies require homework. Since I didn't read the comics, I didn't know that they were supposed to be Michael and Star's kids, and they just kind of glossed over... All of this, and I caught the Emerson thing, but I just thought maybe it was cousins or something because I never really mentioned it, and I think that they spent way too much time on crap before the first thirty two minutes you said before Edgar Frog showed up, building up with like hardly any vampires, and it was just a whole bunch of and worse nothing
1: hardly any kills, yeah, there is such a long period of this movie that nobody is killed in the first movie we talked about how it was a build-up and you didn't see the vampires but people were being killed in this movie you start with the tom savini kill he's not even a human and then like an hour and 15 minutes goes by before finally they slaughter some beach bimbos
0: i thought that was awesome too because there's one scene where chris kills one of the vampires and the gratuitous blood coming out of his mouth is just goes on so long and it you, was like
1: the exorcist yeah
0: you can't believe it it just keeps going and going and it's so such volume coming out that it was awesome already i
3: i think we're similar we, we both you know have studied writing enjoy writing and yeah i watch this and i see a much better film in the the bare bones of it. You know, the, like you said, the heart of darkness stuff, how far are you willing to go to save someone you love? And I totally agree. The execution sucked. No, I guess pun intended since it's a vampire (laughs) movie, but you know, it's kind of like going back to our, my, when I first showed up on now playing with the saw films, I admired the ambition. Some of those films, how, even though I didn't ultimately recommend them, I could admire a movie because of some of its ambitions. And I guess where I fall on this, there was enough here. Yeah, it's a campy B-movie that has some decent ambitions that it it tried to succeed at. But I ended up having fun with it. And so some of those flaws, not all of them, there's a lot of bad with this movie. There's a lot. But it, it didn't bug me as much as it might with some other films.
1: I just looked up this writer to see if maybe the writer had a good idea and it just didn't have the budget or the director. Or if the writer just sucked. And the writer does suck. Um, <laughs> I, he, I don't. He, he if did Tremors television shows. I don't, no, that's the director. That's,
3: the, oh, okay, the, the writer. writer.
1: He did this horrible movie I wanted to like called Clive Barker's Saint Sinner. He did uh, Man Thing, the Marvel comic uh, movie, and. He's doing the upcoming Lost Boys, The Thirst. So uh-oh.
3: so we could probably just replay this and it's probably going to come <laughs> along similar
1: lines. <laughs> now, you said you wanted to talk about the relationship between the brother and sister. I kind of wondered in the back of my mind, especially when he says, come on, little sister. If like the writer just listened to that song and is like, I'm going to make that song the essence of the next film. Because this entire plot could kind of be summed up by the cry little sister lyrics.
3: Yeah, you brought up in the first podcast. Hey, was there some incestual undertones to this song? I'm sorry, the, uh, Chris is getting it on with another woman in a shower. They're buck naked, going at it, and he's like, oh, I, "I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta find where my sister's at."
1: Even, even it, it's even called out because yeah, the trick's like, yeah, she's I can like, go "Oh, you want to go
3: that way?" Yeah,
1: <laughs> she suggests
3: incestual role play. Like, th- there's just. Was
1: it was it incestual story. role play? I honestly thought she was suggesting an incestual three way.
3: <laughs> I took it as role playing, but again, that, that comes down to I guess sexual preferences between <laughs> you and I. Uh, there, there's yeah, there's just some weird tension. Like this brother's just like a little too protective. Chris is just a little too protective. Nicole in this film.
1: He is. He is. It doesn't come off as a brother-sister relationship. Not at all. He should have really been the big brother. And I, I mean, I realize their age difference wasn't as different as it was between... Sam and Michael, but really, he did not come off as big brother. He came off as jealous boyfriend. And when, like, Angus was taking her back to have her first kill and have his way with her again, and he's like, I'm coming too!
0: Yeah, was, that was a little uncomfortable. Well, even 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 Nicole's
3: like, right before she has sex with Shane, she's like, what about my brother? <laughs> I'm like, there's your, your incestual threesome. Like, it, there's some weird stuff going on here.
1: Yeah, it, it was definitely there. I I think and I don't think it was written that way. I don't but I think it was acted that way. And you know, who knows, maybe Tad just really had the hots for autumn, but it, it really came through in the filming. And it's glad that somebody had sexual chemistry because Angus a uh, speaking equivalent of a blow up doll in this movie. Really. I mean he had that much inflection and that much facial expression.
3: Yeah, he he was definitely you know what? I, I told you, uh with the first film, Kiefer, under the right circumstances, if he was playing that role and rehooked up, uh, could something could happen there. I mean, I was he was rocking it. Uh Angus no. It, he had the bad, greasy creed hair and just no personality. He was just bland.
0: I don't see why she would be attracted to him. He doesn't even have a good motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you guys notice that that little guy that was had a crush on Nicole looked like he could be Crispin Glover's bastard son?
3: Now that you bring him up, yeah,
0: he looked and he was creepy, like Crispin Glover, and I love Crispin Glover, but this guy he's creepy. was just, yeah, he is creepy. I what, mean,
1: I, what I want to know is why the hell he's at that party where like he's being bullied, and they're like, "You're going to go over there and drink your margarita alone." I'm like, why would he go to this party with? People I thought and,
0: he was their bitch or something. <laughs> I thought that in exchange for them not killing him, he had to be their bitch. And that's what I thought was going on. He was their whipping boy. He was abused. He did whatever they needed in exchange for going to the parties. Although I don't see why he, he would be watch friends with them. make out. It was like a live action girls. Yeah,
3: gone I wild. mean, that party was ridiculous. Girls are just making out. Again, it's girls gone wild light at this party. You have uh, chicks just belly dancing by fire pits for whatever reason. I mean, I would just go. If, if there were parties like that, I would go.
1: I mean, it's, yeah. These are the parties I read about on text from last night. <laughs> I don't
0: think these parties really happen, Jacob. You, Jacob,
1: you live in Porn Valley, do they?
3: Uh, those parties are very secret, so I, I wouldn't have any insight into that. But you the know, vampire
1: I, parties or the porn parties, <laughs> the porn parties. <laughs> no, but I went,
3: you know, I didn't go to college out here in California. I uh, but in high school, I went to lots of parties, and the, you know, most of those parties were people sitting around passing the bong and, and just tripping out.
1: You I went Not to the same a, kind of parties in college. Yes. Including with an actress who will remain nameless.
3: You know, one of the things that I said I liked about the first Lost Boys was the -the over-the-top, B-movie-type gore, just out of control. So let's talk about some of the kills because I like that they retained that kind of B-movie – you know, Marjorie talked about vomiting blood all over the place. I like that. They're – you know, we don't have anything nearly as inventive as Death by Stereo, but I still felt the kills were fun, that there's a lot of good over-the-top gore.
1: All right, here's my problem with the deaths of the vampires. I didn't feel like they were earned. I did like the one on the beach with all the vomiting. That was an early That was hit.
0: awesome. When he got impaled uh, let me by tell you a tree something. branch.
1: <laughs> to, to go back to my Heart of Darkness thing, I thought Chris was a vampire. I'm like, oh shit, he just made his first kill. He killed another vampire. I, I didn't even put together the David Michael, uh, Michael killed David and was healed. But I thought Chris had taken that step to protect his sister. He'd made a kill.
0: Oh, you thought he like ate.
1: No, I just thought he killed the vampire. He's willing to become a full vampire yeah. to save his sister. Yeah, that's okay. again going back to what I thought was going on now he was damned, but his sister wasn't. I, I thought that. But at the end, you get your final three kills with the last three vampires. And. The death that disappointed me the most was, I mentioned this before, Feldman and the water balloon. This was the best death! Oh, why did it disappoint you? Because it wasn't built up to. You've got Feldman walking through the shadows, and this vampire's taunting him. And then the vampire shows up, and Feldman throws the garlic bolo. Best weapon ever, might I add. A garlic (laughs) bolo. And he pulls it out. He goes, you know how to use this, right? And I'm like, it's a garlic bolo. And then Chris is like, I don't even know what that is. It's a garlic bolo. I'll keep it. He throws the garlic bolo and it misses. And the vampire says something taunting, and then Feldman shoots him in the head with the water balloon. I wanted more of a fight. If you're only going to fight three vampires at the end, look at the first Lost Boys. All three of those deaths had a good fight. Sam shoots with an arrow, and the vampire gets back up, and they talk shit, and then there's death by stereo, and the death is prolonged. And the vampire comes in and starts screaming at him, and then Nanook kicks him into the tub. These are deaths that happen in the end of an action scene. This is a vampire standing there talking smack, dodging a bolo and then his head explodes. I wanted more of a fight there. The way we kind of got between Chris and the African guy, they're kind of going back and forth about who's going to die. I wanted more of a fight before the head exploding. I like the head exploding concept. I just wish it was more earned.
3: Here's why I like the scene. You know, I talked about the comic and how I kind of like absurdity. I mean the idea of a holy water balloon I think is pretty awesome, especially when you're going to fight vampires. I, I like the fact that it's not just a holy water balloon but it, that he has a holy water balloon launcher, like a grenade launcher that he uses. Like, I, I kind of like the absurdity of that. I liked how it was just a sudden death too. You know, yeah, I agree. There needs to be the more prolonged fights. And it was a shock. All of a sudden, this vampire's head is blown off. It reminded me of the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indy's going up against the swordman who's doing all these fancy flipping the sword around. And Indy just pulls out the gun and shoots him. And it, it, it's it's just so sudden. It just shocks you. Like, what, what just happened? That's why I like that.
1: That worked so well in Indy because, again, it was kind of built up to the swordsman doing all these moves. And you're thinking, oh, shit, Indy's fucked. And then Indy shoots him, and it's great. But here, the vampire's just standing there. I wanted more of a fight. The other thing is, Indy fought a lot of people in Raiders of the Lost Ark. We have three vampires to fight at the end of this movie. There's not even a twist ending where there's a bigger head vampire than Shane. So it's like I wanted it to be protracted more. I wanted the fight to give feldman more danger and i I don't even know if he ever saw the same screen as this vampire they're never on frame together they might have never been on set the same day maybe feldman was you know off performing in concert his megaloman song that day but (laughs) it's like you never see the two of them together and also i the head exploding was funny i it is absurd I think I would have preferred kind of a callback to the first one, though. If you were hit in the face with acid, your head doesn't explode. It's going to melt. I would have liked an, a, a nice melting sequence like the first one.
3: Arnie, no two vampires die the same. Some explode, <laughs> some implode. <laughs> That's why okay, I was able to yeah. go with his head exploding because they already set up that line.
1: Point taken, point taken. And <laughs> that's why the one earlier explodes, too, when she's impaled on antlers. It's, she
3: turns to stone and then explodes. Yeah, that was just really like odd. really weird. But, but
1: it's, I, I did the same thing. Marjorie yeah. turned and said, why'd she turn to stone? I'm like, no two die the same. So <laughs> some turn to stone and then explode.
0: <laughs> Everything can be explained away with a line from Corey Feldman. I think that when Chris is fighting...
1: The African vampire, and they have this big brawl, and there's that drill there. I don't know why the vampires are doing mining operations, but there's a stone drill there. I at least felt that was earned because the drill was set up. You see the drill the whole time. You know one of them's going to get hit by the drill. It was a fight that went on for a couple of minutes. I felt that was a really satisfying death.
3: Yeah, and I like the fact that they linger on him because it's not just the, the drill impales him, but that he slowly melts too which, again, I, I liked the gratuitous gore in violence. Uh, I know that's not everyone's thing, but I felt it worked in this movie.
1: But then we get Chris facing off against Shane, and there's something that really bothered me about this scene. I do love the fact that it's Nicole who kills Shane. I, I like that shock. But what pisses me off is Shane owns Chris, and that's owns with a capital P for all you <laughs> internet people. Uh, <laughs> But Shane has Chris down and is pummeling him in the face. And I'm thinking, you know, we've seen vampires disembowel each other. Shane has been a vampire for a while. He should know punching a fellow half-vampire in the face ain't going to do shit.
0: Yeah, I wonder why he just didn't go straight for the ripping out his pneumothorax. I mean, why didn't he just go straight I don't think, for that?
1: I don't think either Angus or his character Shane know where the pneumothorax is. Probably
0: not. <laughs> but, I mean, you, know, you understand? I mean... If I was a vampire, I'd be using my powers all the damn time. I would be, like, going across the room at lightning speed and two seconds flat all the time. Like, I'm here. No, I'm over there. You know, why didn't he use Which his... Which is va- kind of
1: what the one guy did against the Frog Brother.
0: Yeah, why didn't he use his vampire powers?
1: I, I You know what? I'm going to bring up another...
3: Now playing podcast, Predators. You guys talked about the samurai scene. I know a lot of people had issues with that samurai scene. Why did the Predator actually duel with him hand-to-hand instead of just shooting him with a laser?
0: Because Predators have honor, Jacob. Well, okay, here's the thing.
3: Shane says that he kind of likes Chris because he's been the one person that, to challenge him. And so there is a sense of honor there that he likes that someone's actually trying to stand up and, and to push the notion of what being a vampire is, whatever that means, there seems to be at least some level of respect that Shane has. He's, so I, I think he maybe does take it a little bit easier because he wants it to be more of a fair fight because he likes that he's being pushed and being challenged. Because if you're a vampire, if you see seen Nosferatu, that's one of the things, you know, these longing and vampires is everything becomes meaningless because you just live forever. And you just see everyone pass away and die, and it's not a very happy life. So I, I think Shane liked the fact that someone was actually challenged to him for once in his
1: life. But the thing is, I could have seen this being, if they had more money, an ultimate fight, because we see that Chris also has the super speed. Even though he's only half a vampire, he's got all of the powers, just like Michael did. Michael could fly. I mean, sure, Michael was like the greatest American hero and couldn't <laughs> control his flight. But, you know, they have all the vampire powers and none of their weaknesses. They're like Blade. So I, I would have love to have seen a vamp on vamp action but
3: or or even you know we've talked a lot about threesomes in this podcast even if it you know you have shane as this ultimate vampire at least he's the head vampire and really strong that you actually have chris and nicole and edgar frog team up and you get this full-on battle where he's able to take kind of take on the three of them because he is such a strong vampire something more I, i felt this final fight was a bit anticlimactic
1: I did like, though, again, Nicole coming up from behind. And Shane's look of betrayal was. It was the only moment where I ever related you to Shane. He saved Angus. all his
3: acting up for that. Yeah. For that one moment.
1: <laughs> yes, his entire lineage of acting was gone there. But yeah, it, his look of betrayal that she would do that to him was a good moment because it it again kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier Jacob about the incestual relationship she chooses her brother over her lover
3: (laughs) so we talked about how we were all surprised because there was no twist ending and I was totally expecting it because that's what happened in the first film Did you guys think Aunt Jillian was going to end up being like the head vampire or something? Because I totally thought she was going to be the ultimate bad guy at the end.
1: I wondered when I first saw this because I felt like there had to be more. Because again, the ending felt anticlimactic. It felt like there needed to be a better ending than we got. And so I was like, all right. But I was trying to think what adults are in this movie. We kind of see the minnesotan sheriff for a few scenes and jillian she's the only adult in luna bay the only problem is we saw her in the daylight when she's showing them their crap shithole apartment and like the homeless people living in their backyard is broad daylight if that had been a nighttime scene i i would have thought it more
3: yeah but they they came up with a reason that max didn't show up and when you know Uh, with the garlic and he had a reflection in the mirror i mean they came up so i thought maybe they'd pull something out sunblock yes (laughs) spf one million
1: so the credits roll and i'm really disappointed although we did have a good laugh with aunt jillian i wish she'd you know maybe brought over gremlins to watch too or something maybe dream a little (laughs) dream or license to drive but Then the credits roll, but it's not over. The scene that I've been waiting for the whole goddamn movie finally arrives. Corey Haim is a vampire and he and Edgar Frog are about to fight.
0: I think that it would have made a much better movie if they had found it in their heart to put Corey Haim in the movie as the head vampire.
3: Or at least some revelation. Maybe Edgar overcomes his vampire bias to team up with him. I mean, something.
1: Yeah, that would have been a wonderful thing. As he has to work with a vamp to fight a vamp. Let me tell you something though. I was so excited for The Lost Boys three when I saw that scene. I'm like, they're going to give me the film I want. Feldman versus Haim, the closest we've ever. Is that
0: ever... like Alien versus Predator? <laughs> kind of. The closest. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they have to fight to the death. The closest we've
1: ever gotten to Feldman versus Haim is in Blown Away, a 1992 movie with Nicole Eggert where they're both like fighting over the girl and trying to kill each other.
0: Sadly, I'd like to think that you're pulling this all out of IMDb, but I'm pretty sure you know this all by heart. Exactly. But then <laughs> I want
1: that that's The Lost Boy sequel I want is I I want the Frog Brothers and Haim back together. I mean, I really would like to see Kiefer and Jason Patrick come back, but, you know, yeah, th- that's right. okay, not going to happen. Jason Patrick
0: maybe, because he's not doing much.
1: Yeah, Speed 2 kind of put the kibosh on him. <laughs> I mean, I realize we're not going to get back any of the big stars. I don't think Diane Wiest is going to take a break from her law and order to do a direct-to-video <laughs> sequel. I just wish that we could have gotten something that was more of a direct sequel and less of a tangentially related pseudo-sequel that had one carryover character. Feldman versus Haim, where Haim is a vampire, is a movie I would pay a lot of money to see, especially now that he's dead. I guess I'd have to pay a hell of a lot of money mm-hmm. to some day. And he
3: would have to be a vampire.
1: <laughs> but you know what? They didn't even do that for part three, because part three was in production, I mean, before Haim passed away. So... They they don't want to give us that. I don't know why they don't want to give us that.
0: because kids today don't like the Corys, Arnie. Their their Corys are like Zac Efron but and kids. Kids today someone don't like else. the Lost Boys, so give it to the ones. But of they us like too. vampires. Well,
3: here here's my question: where this third film is going? Because there's two alternate endings to this film.
1: Yeah, there are two alternate endings on the DVD. I had to watch them on a uh, YouTube.
3: So here in, in both both the alternate endings are pretty similar. It's, it's Corey and Corey. They're meeting on a beach, and Corey Hame is Sam, is not a vampire, and he comes to Edgar Frog and says, hey, I need you to give me some supplies. I need some steaks. There's, there's someone coming, and you keep getting this mysterious shot of this hot rod zooming down the street, and you find out that this is Alan Frog, and he's like this badass rob zombied out vampire in a hot rod with like blacked out windows with a little peephole or video screen so he could see where he's driving which again totally absurd and that's why i loved it that's what they set up is that Corey and Corey are going to team up to fight alan frog and then in the second alternate ending it's pretty much the same scene except you see Corey. hame he pulls down his shirt and he reveals that Alan Frog has already bit him and turned him into a half-vampire.
1: I like both those endings. What I like about the original ending that they did include is it... In- it, it impl- all of these endings actually imply some bad history. Something went bad between Sam and Edgar and Alan, and I, I do like that. I want to know th- more about that, and sadly, I don't think I ever will.
3: Yes, yeah, so I don't know where this third film's going. If it's going, I I know uh, Jameson Newlander is going to be there to present Lost Boys: The Thirst. So I don't I don't know if they're picking up those strings that they hinted at in these alternate endings or what. I'm I'm kind of intrigued, though. I am very sad that there is no Corey Haim, There is no Sam. Emerson that will be returning for this film
1: even though he was around they they didn't include him and I'm looking at the cast list and this is very strange it does have Corey Feldman and Jamison Newlander both back as Edgar and Alan Frog maybe they
3: could I don't know if you've ever seen the Bruce Lee well pseudo Bruce Lee film Game of Death where he died before it was finished but they had all his fight scenes so all the story they used to build up the fight scenes is this guy named Bruce Lee L-I instead of L-E-E And he runs around, and every time they show his face, there's like this cardboard photo of Bruce Lee superimposed over it. (laughs) So, I guess, try to trick you. It's so awful, um, but totally worth it for the fight scenes with uh, Kareem and uh, Bruce Lee going at it. But maybe they'll do some. Maybe they got a Corey Hain cutout
1: so they could work him into this film. I do not see. Oh, my. No, guys, I
0: I smell a fan film coming on. Because, Jacob, you could play Corey Haim. And we could just get a cardboard cutout and paste it over after we film it. There you go. Oh, man. That's hilarious.
1: So, Marjorie, Jacob, do you recommend The Lost Boys of the Tribe? Jacob.
3: I, I'm going to pull a Brock out of my hat here. You know, Brock always says, did I have fun during this film? And, okay, this film, no, it's not good. But it has its moments. I laughed. I enjoyed it. It's a campy, B-rated film, a low, 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 low B, maybe getting into the Cs, probably the Cs, probably the low Cs. It's not, you know, story-wise, it's a mess, but every time, you know, I already said this, every time Corey Feldman's on screen, I'm smiling, I'm enjoying it, I'm giggling to myself. It has its moments. I liked it. I I think if you enjoyed the first Lost Boys film, I think you should at least give it a try. Watch it once. I'm going to give it a a soft recommend marjorie
0: i'm gonna have to say no because i really didn't know much going into this except what i had seen on the two cory's reality show and i was really hoping for a much later sequel kind of like how terminator 2 was like freaking awesome and had all the right mix of nods to the first one with a great new story and this one was not even the lost boys it was just a generic vampire movie that they let Corey feldman be in I didn't like it.
1: And I'm kind of torn. Jacob, I mean one of the last movies that we reviewed with you on Now Playing was Inception, which is perhaps one of the best films we've ever reviewed for Now Playing. It's Definitely. just so well made. This is really perhaps the worst made film I've ever reviewed for Now Playing with its of course act- that Jason Takes Manhattan or any of the <laughs> this cinematography makes Jason Takes Manhattan look like Inception. I mean, Jason Takes Manhattan was at least on film. This is obviously a DV consumer grade camcorder. The the directing is amateurish. The acting I, I don't even think there is acting. There's just people reading lines. It is a visceral thrill. It's got a good soundtrack. I actually bought the soundtrack to this movie on iTunes. The hard rock version of Cry Little Sister and the song that's in like the opening that's by some band I've never heard of, but it just sounds like it's A C D C but it isn't.
3: Oh, it's not I totally <laughs> thought it was A C D C.
1: Yeah, I know. Every time I hear that song I think it's like an eighties classic song. It turned out it was written for this movie. But It sounds just like a great period song. Nah, I just can't recommend it. I mean, this is... I I can't decide if this is so bad it's good. It's just... It's so bad it's bad. It's got some funny moments to it, though. But I don't think after seeing this performance I'll ever be able to say yes, I recommend anything with Angus Sutherland in it. But I don't know if I'll have fun with our next movie. We'll see at Comic-Con. The Lost Boys 3 The Thirst. But we will find out. Marjorie Jacob... What does the force tell you? What are you feeling about that film?
3: I'm, you know, after this one, I'm kind of optimistic. If it's got what I liked in this one, then I'll be happy. And if it builds it all off of those alternate endings, you know, with uh, Jameson Newlander all Rob zombied out, I, th- I think it could actually be a lot of fun. At least Corey will be in the audience with us.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Marjorie?
0: Well, my goal is to get my picture taken with Corey Feldman, first of all. I think that it's going to be a lot of fun watching the movie at Comic-Con, but I don't really have any high hopes for it. I don't think it's going to be a nod back unless they really expand upon the Frog Brothers, and then I will enjoy it.
1: I have hope. It's the director's first work in English. He's an Italian director who's done some work over there. Sometimes when people cross a sea and do some work here, it really pays off. Like with the J-horror... It's got the same writer, so I'm a little nervous, but and it's got Corey Feldman back, and I bet he brings the voice with him. But I, I have I have optimism. So we'll find out next week.
0: about living in Santa Carla I never could summon.
2: all the damn vampires thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's The Lost Boys Retrospective Series
3: build a man a fire and he's warm for a day light a man on fire and he's warm for the rest of his life
2: be sure to head to our website, nowplayingpodcast.com, and listen to our other movie series reviews, including A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Terminator, and more. Go went to the website, filled out a couple forms, and clicked Ordain me. If you enjoy Now Playing, please support the show. You can find a link to donate to the show using PayPal from our homepage, or you can buy Now Playing t shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more at the Now Playing Cafe Press store. How much do you think we should charge him for this? Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find a link to our forums where you can discuss these films, as well as links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, where you can read our movie mini reviews and chat with other listeners about the show. Just like one big happy family. The Lost Boys and all the Lost Boys universe contains is the intellectual property of Warner Brothers Pictures, and no infringement is intended.
0: Even though you're a vampire, you're still my brother.
2: Now playing is a Venganza Media Production, copyright 2010.
0: Death by Stereo. I don't know if it's the difference between girls that would like this now versus girls my age. I don't think you,
1: you, you got to stop bringing up Twilight seriously because yeah, well, no, nobody, no, no, no. no. I thing. think she's onto something,
3: Arnie. The, the, the super speed, the Flash vampires—that's in Twilight. Oh God, oh, God. And, <laughs> it's one of the things that made me like vomit a little in my mouth when I watched that movie. I and I—I I don't think I got to explain why I watched Twilight in the first podcast. It was for curiosity reasons I was not invested I was interested to see what the hype was all about that's the people that's the only reason I watched Twilight i, I only see the first one I'll
1: admit I kind of have the same curiosity
3: <laughs> but they I think that I'm was Twilight total, curious I, I, I'm Twi curious yes <laughs> <laughs> what is it with vampires and their motorcycles I that's not know. in Twilight that's a lost boys <laughs> mythology
0: yeah there are no shirtless vampires either because don't the vampires take off their shirts in Twilight the all the African time? The African guy kept his shirt off for most did of he? the movie.
3: Everyone keeps their – well, all the men keep their shirts <laughs> off in Twilight, not just vampires.
1: It's just everyone, every male.
0: I really thought that – He exchange- was there
1: Renfield? What's that from? Dracula had the human I Renfield. didn't know that. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, that brought the podcast to a screeching Yes, cold. it
0: did. <laughs>